Are you looking for veteran resources and peer support? Objective Zero has an app for that. Download the Objective Zero app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Access wellness resources like yoga and a free year subscription to Headspace, the world's most popular meditation app. Check out veterans resources and access our nationwide network of peer support. Speak to fellow women veterans or someone in your field and branch of service. You get to choose who you want to chat with. Learn more at www.objectivezero.org. That's www.objectivezero.org. Please remember the views and opinions expressed by this show or any other show on DB Radio and its guests are strictly those of said individuals and do not reflect those of the DB Radio staff nor the staff of dysfunctional veterans. I am the first dick in your ear, Bonerwood, so it's going to be a hard one tonight. Now, God damn it, buddy, that's just not even fair. This is Barracks Talk. This is inside the nut house, man. We got Sergeant Wardog. Oh, I just broke out of the rubber room, dog. The bacon man himself, oink. You are truly putting the D in the B when it comes to DV radio. Mr. Recall. I prefer to be referred to as belly and down. And don't know where the fuck Google is. I told you it's my computer, it's not me. That's exactly how I feel. We probably had a few too many to drink, you know what I'm <laughs> 20 bucks, 20 bucks. Can I get a thimble full of sweet baby rays, please? We don't have it. Saturday's going to be even more entertaining. Illogical. We still have the DD radio store for those wondering. Shit's still there. You can buy shit. Mine shit's good, okay? Oh, we haven't even gotten there yet. You fucking got me there already. Love and military barracks talking around this smoke. How's your back feeling after that penis reduction? Oh. <laughs> You're tuned in to WDVR on DVRadio.net. Because this is how it is on DV Radio. That is how it is right here on WDVR, DVRadio.net. It's Brands Talk Live. Or as always, you listen to us on podcast because recordings go to podcast and you didn't listen to us live. It's a recording. That, that's, that's just how the world works. Anyway, it is September 17th, 2022. I'm Bonerwood in the house tonight. We do not have the pig from Alaska oink because he's working some overtime because that's how the government works. Um, but we do have Mr. Sergeant Wardog out in Texas. Yeah, yeah, psych ward gang. That's it, gang, gang. Um, and we have Mr. JJ Joaquin Wata PTS dog in the swamp ass area of North Kakalaki. Uh, yes, this is the swamp ass region. You are not wrong. <laughs> oh, Lord. So we do have a guest. It was only 72 de- degrees today while I, I was dripping. Because it was 90% humidity. It wasn't that bad heat-wise, but like you said, that humidity, it you, you might as well have been sitting in a sauna. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. Um, we do have a guest tonight. We'll get it's, to him. It's in- the weather we like to call juicy. <laughs> Juicy. It's thick and juicy. We'll get to him in just it's a couple juicy. of minutes. Um, it's moist. 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 That that in mind, uh, stop! I'm trying to get through the intro. Damn it, <laughs> asshole! Moist. Oh my god! We're supposed to be Where's professional. Google when you need her, we're supposed to be professional tonight. All right. Oh shit! Jesus, <laughs> cops! Cops! Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so tonight is your last night and last chance to get free shipping on the DV Radio Store at dvradio.net. Be sure you click that redeem button. So if you want free standard shipping, go, go. dvradio.net. 
Click on. Do it. Let's do do, do it. it now. There you go. See, that wasn't that hard. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, Oink's not on. He uh, he had to do some overtime. Google will probably not be on. Um, I don't want to say why, because I don't know if she wants us to talk about it yet, because I don't think we have all the updates. Uh, but everything was looking good earlier. No, it wasn't DV6. He didn't almost kill himself with more hornets or hornet poison again. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe him. Jesus. Oh, okay. So, is there anything else that I'm missing, JJ or Wardog? Oh, you're spot on, brother. I, I think we're good for the moment. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, there is other shit we need to talk about, but we talk about that after this interview because I want to get to this interview. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we have Dr. Owen Clayton on. Uh, he elected us to call him Owen. So when we don't say Dr. Clayton, don't get mad at us and say that's disrespectful. He, he told us to call him Owen in the pre-show. I have it recorded. I will play it if you don't believe me in podcast. Um, <laughs> I got the receipt. Um, but uh, Owen is a senior lecturer in English literature at the University of Lincoln in the United Kingdom. He's written a few monographs, and among others, he's edited together the dispatches of Roving Bill Aspinwall uh, in a book entitled Roving Bill Aspinwall, Dispatches from a Hobo in Post-Civil War America. We spoke about this a few weeks ago from Sergeant Wardog. Um, Aspinwall was a child soldier, Civil War hero, ladies' man, entrepreneur, tramp, drunkard, a traumatized combat veteran, and he was homeless. That all introducing Mr. Owen. How you doing tonight, uh, Owen? Uh, hi, it's great to be on. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I can confirm that I did indeed say that you could call me Owen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, just so everybody knows, you are in the UK, and it is one in the morning, correct? That is correct, yeah. So it's actually the 18th here. Yeah, so he's in the future. And we're talking to the future. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we're not getting a lot of future. Just ask me. We're not getting the lottery numbers. We we were told that last week with uh, Objective Zero. Uh, I guess the same goes for Owen. Yeah, sorry. <sighs> well, all right. That's the end of the show, everybody. Good night. Yeah, uh, well, good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, on on a serious note. Uh, you've put together these dispatches, but before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and, or about yourself and what got you into doing, uh, this, this book? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I teach, um, literature in English It's a lot of the time I teach American literature and I've been working on a, um, an academic monograph, which is just a, a, a fancy word for a, um, a, a difficult to read, uh, expensive academic book, uh, that will, um, that will only be bought by university libraries. Um, and that book is, uh, called, um, Vagabonds, Tramps and Hobos, The Literature and Culture of U.S. Transiency. I've, I've just finished that and um, it will be coming out with Cambridge University Press next year, probably, uh, rather than this year. Um, but as I was doing the research, for, so that, that was a book into um, the subculture of um, basically hobos. And when that term came to, into existence in the late 19th century in the U.S., um, and how it sort of changed over time um, and how it was different from the word tramp and how it was different from the word vagabond um, and how there was this kind of working class subculture 
of um, yeah hobos that were kind of basically building up the American West in the sort of 20, 30 years after the kind of closure of the frontier um, and the sort of development of um, American modernity and capitalism, if you like. And it was a lot, you know, the, the, the two different groups that were kind of building the mines and the mills and the railroads and, you know, working in the harvest fields and all that kind of stuff were, um, to a certain extent, uh, migrants and um, and also um, hobos. And so there was this kind of really thriving um, subculture that created lots of music and art and literature. And no one had really written about that. So um, that's what the other book that is coming out with Cambridge University Press is about. But as part of the research into that, um, I uh, kind of stumbled a- a- across um, these letters uh, written by uh, William Aspinwall, Robin Bill, um, and over a 24-year period and realised that they'd never been published by anyone. And I just found that kind of amazing, really, as that, you know, they're just really, really, really interesting. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I guess, a sort of something that I, that I happened across as I was doing, you know, this, this kind of wider research into, into the hobo, uh, hobo subculture, which was called Hobohemia. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I didn't know there was a word or a subculture called Hobohemia. <laughs> that that took me aback. I, I wasn't ready for that one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> does, that, does that tie into the, the Bohemian subculture? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So um, the the term hobohemia, um, yeah, it, it sort of brings together the hobo and, and bohemia, and it was this. It was I I, I kind of argue in in the other book that um, it was the first counterculture in the United States. So not just a subculture, but a counterculture um, that was you know trying to go against the mainstream in many ways, and kind of you know particularly for things like workers' rights, because this mm-hmm. was a, a period where you know people were being, you know, treated really badly in terms of their pay and also, you know, the, the conditions they were working in. And um, you had some people trying to kind of fight back against that. Um, and, it, you know, it was kind of, although the, the, the Wild West was over in in, in one sense, um, it was still a bit of a Wild West in terms of, you know, lawlessness and sort of what people could, what kind of conditions people would work under. And, you know, hobos would kind of go all around the country, obviously, and work all different jobs and generally not be treated very well. But then the, the one advantage was that they could just leave a job if they didn't like it and go and work somewhere else. So, yeah, then, you know, they were uh, um, in these kind of what were called jungles, um, these camps that were often by the sides of railroads and you know people would there were these were the kind of centers of hobohemia where people would kind of gather around campfires and sing songs and tell stories and telling like tall tales was a real big thing so like telling exaggerated stories about you know what you'd seen on the road or um you know the things that you'd done and it, it became this kind of really um sort of storytelling uh subculture storytelling became really important to that to that uh, to that culture i'm going to nerd out just a little bit because the hobo aspect of this and the reason i say i'm going to nerd out a little bit <clears throat> is because i was doing some research for a book i'm writing which is all completely fiction and i've been working on it for a while but i wanted to have something catching on the cover and I found out, and many people probably don't know because they just don't bother to care to look into it or they just go by what, whatever they hear, right? 
and hobos had their own language and, uh, essentially um, and would leave for lack of a better term, hieroglyphics, right? At like these train stops or these houses and stuff, warning people or letting them know, you know, Hey, this is a good place to get some food or work or et cetera, et cetera. And it was all symbols and and stuff because we got to remember that was a time where not everybody was educated to read and it it just wasn't of significance. Is there anything like that that you found out that shocked you or surprised you when you were doing the research on, Hobohemia. So the, one, one of the guys um, who I came across claimed to, to have, have invented that system mm-hmm. um, of, of, the, of the hieroglyphics, but the, the, and this was a guy called Leon Ray Livingston who was known by his hobo uh, name was A Number One because hobos all had you know nicknames. Right. Um, and um, but the problem with A Number One is, is that he was a massive liar. Um, <laughs> so he, he, you know, he, m- most of his books are just complete fantasy. Um, and, um, so it's, it's kind of difficult to know what, you know, what to believe. Um, and, uh, and historians, you know, really kind of disagree with each other about, talk, you know, ha- how much to an extent that hieroglyphic system was in place. I think some people did use it, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, hugely widely, uh, known, but it, it's, right. it's kind of difficult to know because, um, you know, the, the, the kind of archaeology, I guess, if you like, of those, those posts where people would leave that, you know, doesn't survive that well. Um, although a, a friend of mine has um, got some really cool footage from the 1960s, some beautiful eight millimeter film footage from the 1960s of these old uh, train yards um, uh, that were dated from the early 20th century, um, and I think it's from Red Bluff, California, if I remember rightly. Um, and it's all these um, hobos leaving their, you know, leaving their names uh, on the side of this building and um, leaving their nicknames and the dates that they were there and it's all like you know like 1899 1901 1904 um so you know there are some of those kinds of marks that um that have um, been preserved thankfully you know i I think it was just like any other language i think it, it, it was based off of region and stuff of that nature and like you said it probably wasn't worldly known or, or however you want to look at it but again i think it was it was centered to regions and, and groups and stuff like that. I could be wrong, but I, I, I'm well, no um, I mean, Aspinwall actually talks about it a little bit in his letters, actually, because it's one of the things that the guy who he's writing the letters to is interested in. So, um, yeah, it is actually, you know, roving builders actually say that he, he knows that people do it. He, he says that um, he doesn't really do it himself. He mm-hmm. doesn't leave these signs. He doesn't really know all of the slang words. But um, that, that was another big part of Hobohemia, though, that, um, you know, they had their own their own slang words for things because um, I guess, you know, that's a way of making sure someone, you, you know that someone's inside the culture if they know those words. And obviously if somebody doesn't know those words, then, you know, they're probably an outsider and you need to be careful and you don't, you know, don't trust that person necessarily. Right. And with hobo, I think the term has a a horrible um, look upon it, thanks to media and entertainment. But it's not really that true as far as they're bad people, correct? I mean, they're just everyday people. They just were homeless or chose a life that nobody else chose. Yeah, definitely. So um, the the, probably the best 
definition I can think of for a hobo was a transient worker. Mm-hmm. So somebody who was, you know, was was working for a living, but was just moving around to do it because, you know, there wasn't the stable jobs necessarily in one place that, you know, and, um, you know, quite often in the early 20th century in particular, you would get, um, you know, you would be given a job, let's say you're in like Chicago or somewhere like that, and you would go to a, 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 an employment agency, which were known as Sharks, a job shark, um, and they would give you a job, but it would be, you know, in a lumber camp in Oregon or something like that. And, you know, they might give you a, a free train ticket or, or or they might not, in which case you'd have to illegally hop a freight train to get there, which was obviously something that hobos did, did a lot and are kind of famous for. But yeah, so one, um, there, there was an organization called the um, International Brotherhood Welfare Association, which was a kind of a bit like a union, but also a bit like a um, kind of a charity and like a self-help organization that had hobo colleges um, in lots of different cities in the US. The biggest one was in Chicago. Um, and they tried to set up a, de- a definition of um, the hobo works and wanders, the tramp dreams and wanders, and the bum drinks and wanders. Um, so that was that was the sort of hierarchy that they were trying to set up. Now I'm not saying that I actually agree with that hierarchy <laughs> right. necessarily, but but and and like the term hobo, cha- the meaning of it kind of changes over time. And I guess what you're asking is like today the word would probably just be used as as like another word for homeless person. Um, but yeah, in the early 20th century. Um, uh, and, and for a long time, um, you know, it, it meant someone who was a was a worker, but just someone who moved around for, for, for their jobs. Right. Now, we've said all that in a roundabout way to get to the book of Roving Bill Aspenwall. Now, first off, why did you put together his dispatches in a book? Uh, yeah, well, um, I, you know, I came across, um, references to his letters in some, uh, work by some historians that I was reading. So the, the letters are written over a 24 year period between, uh, Rovingville, William Aspinwall, um, and a guy called, uh, Professor John James McCook, um, who is a professor of modern languages at, um, Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and um, the it's this really you know amazing long correspondence between these two people who you wouldn't necessarily think have a huge amount in common really. Um, but um, John James McCook was somebody who was you know was interested in in the problem of tramps and transiency and vagrancy, um, and Roving Bill was somebody who wanted to tell his story and uh, you know his own story in his own words and. Um, I, yeah, I, I came across a number of historians talking about, um, these letters, but they only ever talked about the letters, um, by talking about a series of articles that McCook wrote, um, which he wrote in 1902. Um, and those articles are called Leaves from the Diary of a Tramp. Um, and those letters, um, have some of Aspinwall's letters in them, but they also talk about lots of other people. Um, and those, le- the, the articles that McCook wrote were very much, you know, McCook was the one in charge and he kind of makes Roving Bill seem like kind of uh, as though Roving Bill's problems are his own fault. Um, and I, what, and, and, and a number of the historians I've read who kind of used those articles as their basis kind of went along with that. Um, so it made it sound like, you know, Roving Bills was, you know, was homeless because, you know, because he was an alcoholic and that, that was his fault somehow. Um, and 
I, I don't know, I wasn't completely happy with that. Um, and so, yeah, well, then when I, you know, when I, I went looking for the letters and I, and I, you know, and I found them and I, and I, you know, read them obviously and, and thought, wow, these are amazing. These, these need to be, these need to get out there because, you know, Roving Bill's story has only really been told by McCook for about a hundred years. And McCook makes, McCook likes Roving Bill, but he does make him, it sound like, yeah, Bill's problems are Bill's fault. Um, and what, what McCook never really addresses in his, his articles is the question of trauma um, and the fact that Roving Bill was a, was a veteran um, who had, yeah, suffered serious injury in the American Civil War and was somebody who had, you know, never received the treatment that he needed. And I think that explains a lot about then his, you know, the way his life went in sort of subsequent decades. So I thought it was just really important to get his story out in his own words for the first time. Oh, definitely. And, you know, that's, uh, as I said in the pre-show, you know, that's one of the big things that drew us to what Sergeant Wardog was talking about with uh, Roven Gill was the fact he was a veteran and homeless and drunkard and you name it and how it resonated with a lot of today's veterans. Uh, JJ, are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. Do you, do you want to take over for a second? Yeah. So what, what I think what intrigued me the most is that just from the, the little bit that we've been able to read the excerpts and the, you know, the, the, the press kit for, for lack of a better term. Um, Roving Bill was experiencing the same kinds of things that today's uh, homeless veterans are. And what intrigues me and, and just really catches my interest is that one of the prevailing feelings, one of the things when you get to talk to a disabled veteran, a homeless veteran, one of the, pre- the prevailing uh, feelings that I've heard expressed is that, that they um, feel like they're alone, like nobody, that, that this has never happened to anybody else, but them, even though they might be sitting on a bench in a park next to three other homeless disabled veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm fascinated. I'm buying a copy of this book because I really want to hear the story. I spent some time homeless Uh, You know, I want to hear what it was like for a disabled veteran then, and I want to see how similar it is to what life is like for a homeless and disabled veteran now. And I think, I I mean, I hope that your intent in putting this together is not just from from the historical uniqueness of the perspective, but I hope that there's some some, uh, kind of intent to share with modern veterans, the fact that not only are they not alone, but that their experience is one that is similar enough to past veterans that we can all begin to start to study and learn from that. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, I think I first started on the trail of, I suppose, the, you know, the the hobo book because I was walking to work in Lincoln, you know, past lots of people sleeping on the street, sleeping rough and, you know, thought that, you know, I wanted to do something you know, to help in it as much as, as much as a book can ever help. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. In terms of, um, if people feel, you know, feel that 
you know, somehow their experiences are unique to them. I mean, their, their, their experiences will be their own experiences, but at the same time, a lot of the, a lot of people have gone through very similar things and, and have gone through very similar things for, you know, for centuries. And I, and I think it's really, you know, we were talking about this before we went on air. I think it's really interesting how um, there are certain wars that don't seem to get talked about in relation to trauma. Um, you know, and I think um, I don't in- exactly know why that is. Uh, you know, I think like World War One, people might talk about shell shock um, or maybe Vietnam. People might talk about stuff a bit. Um, but I think maybe, you know, some of this is just because people didn't talk about things when they were, you know, in, in, in earlier generations. And it was part of the idea. Again, we were talking about this before we went on air. The idea of, you know, being a man was someone who doesn't who doesn't talk about their emotions. You know, those all, all those sort of old fashioned ideas of, of what being a man is. Um, but but also, I think with certain wars get kind of held up as being particularly heroic somehow in like the popular culture um, and in media and, and films and, and, and books and things like that. And I think the American Civil War um, is one of those. And I think um, World War II perhaps is one of those as well. And those wars don't seem to get linked in with the trauma that would have been experienced by the people in them. Um, to, uh, at least, uh, at least that's not you know not not what I've seen. So yeah, I mean, I you know I think um, it's absolutely uh, in, important if people um, think that yeah that their experiences of you know mean that they are um, I don't know a failure or something like that. It's absolutely not the case. If um, you know, so like with Bill's experience, for example, you know, with his him kind of turning to alcoholism, uh, um, that happened as a result of being in the army. And he talks about that in his letters. And he he says to McCook, he says, you know, not only did the army uh, the the union because he was on the union side, um, not only did but I think you know alcoholism was a problem on on the Confederate side too. But not only were the union um, you know recruiters not checking to see whether people had a drink problem before they signed them up but they were actively encouraging drinking during um and before battle because basically it was a way to sort of keep people's nerves on edge um or you know help people kind of deal with those nerves and this was a really serious problem on both sides of the conflict you know like there was massive alcoholism on both sides and i don't know there's been a little bit of research in recent years on this, but for for a long, long time, nobody had really looked into that um, into that side of the war. That you know, that actually the the the, the doctors actually coined a new term uh, it, it, during the war, and that term was chronic alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and uh, I think in those days, alcohol was absolutely used. I mean, it was it was considered medicinal. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I mean, people were selling whiskey as cure, as a cure-all, as a panacea. And, it, you know, here, take a drink of this. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll bolster you. It'll, it'll, it'll strengthen you, you know, it'll make you braver. Well, not only um, that, it, in relation to the Vietnam War with marijuana, I mean, yeah, the majority of them weren't doing it to be rebellious. The majority of them were doing it because that was a fucked up war. I mean, they were... I mean, look at the footage, look at the stories, right? I mean, don't forget the opioids. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, again, like we had said, what intrigued us about Aspenwall's story is the fact that it's so relatable 
to present right now, yeah, day world. Right now. I mean, in, I think in, probably the biggest difference is, and I need to read it, but I bet you the biggest difference is, however, uh, Aspinwall refers to drinking and alcoholism. Today we call it self medication, mm-hmm. and you know, trauma. and it's just yeah, we're using some kind of substance to help. Uh, distract us from what's really going on in our heads. Right. And I want to know how he relates and, and, and and talks about the trauma or the PTSD or whatever you want to call it. Cause today we walk on eggshells even today. I mean, Mm -hmm. here, here at DV, DV radio, we encourage you to talk about it if you want to, obviously, but at the same time in the real world, in normal media and normal social media and everyday talk, we got to walk on eggshells, right? So how did he mm-hmm. talk about it? How did they talk about it during or after the Civil War, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much the answer is that they didn't talk about it. And mm-hmm. that was the problem, I think. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of there almost by its absence in a, in a, in a weird kind of contradictory way. Um, it's not something that is talked about explicitly, really. Um, it's something that I think you can detect by his actions, it would be my argument. You know, it's a bit like when like astronomers look for a, bl- a black hole and, you know, they, they can't see the black hole, but they can see other things that are, that are impacted by the gravity of gravitational effect of the black hole. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like that. You know, I think if you look at the, like the contour of his life, um, you know, when he, he leaves um, the army and he kind of settles down, starts to get a decent job in a, in a factory, he's relatively okay off at one point and his life just collapses um and and he goes through these repeated cycles of um get you know being housed and 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 having his shit together um getting married and then it it, you know he he drinks and um it, it all just collapses around him and he ends up on the road again and then you know maybe he has like five years on the road or 10 years on the road and then he gets his act together and he um yeah gets a job tries to set up a business or one point um again it collapses he's back on the road and so it's this real cycle of um sort of of homelessness and and being housed um and and i i think that's where you can detect what he was experiencing unfortunately mm-hmm. it's not so much in, in explicitly what he says um because it's a time period in which that wasn't really done it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't really acknowledged unfortunately and i mean even in today's world, we still, with all the resources, we don't have the resources, right? Like, yeah, you, you can go to a, a psychologist, you can talk to a doctor, you can do this, you can talk, you can go to therapy 24 hours a day, and they're still not even going to scratch the, the surface nine times out of 10. And even back then, even if they did have that resource, with just the way the culture was, they wouldn't have scratched the surface knowing what they knew then. I mean, it's, it's eye opening how relatable something that happened over a hundred years ago is still relevant today, right? Like we talk about, oh, well, we've got it made today and I'm not going to lie, we do. But in a psyche aspect, it's basically the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to mention real quick, uh, because the fact that DV does also have our own DV farm in which we house, you know, homeless veterans up in New Hampshire. Yeah, homeless and, and addicted uh, veterans. 
Right, right. And then uh, f- from what I understand, right, Bo, we run DV Farm as a uh, uh, as a sober house, sober facility, right? Yeah, it's it's a long term rehab for addicted and homeless veterans, and uh, you, you, the veterans that have come through is exactly what we we've just talked about. I mean, mm-hmm. they they've talked to somebody, they've went to the rehabs, they've failed and their their life is just that cycle that you were talking about Owen that Aspenwall had. You know, do the drugs, do the drinking, get married, have the family and then it all comes crashing down. Okay, let's move on to the next plethora of bullshit that's going to tear my world down and it just all that just keeps weighing and weighing and weighing until they have nowhere else to go. They have nothing else to do. And that we, we take in the problem children, right? Like that's, that's what we do. But yeah, it's, yeah, I was thinking, right. That because Rove and Bill was kicked out of multiple veterans homes, mm-hmm. you know, while he was seeking help. Can you imagine DV six having, to, <laughs> you know what I mean? DV six having to curse out and throw out. I'm going to tell you, know, you what, talk about a problem child. He is the redheaded step child. DV six was roving Bill yeah. for a while. Yeah, he really you know? was. I mean, when he, you listen to his story, yeah. He, he done the drugs. He done the drinking. He done the crimes. He, he, he was homeless for how long? What? A few years. I mean, so yeah. And wow. Um, one question I did have, Owen, when you were going through all of Aspenwall's, uh, writings, is there anything that jumped out at you that made you go, wow? Yeah, there are some really um, poignant moments. So he like talks about. Um, so one of the things he does when he's on the road is he goes around um, fixing umbrellas for people, uh, which was this job with the with the brilliant uh, name uh, mush faking, uh, mush faking because um, of the relate of the. Uh, resemblance between a, an upturned umbrella and a mushroom mm-hmm. um and so he, he that you know he, he he's kind of like an old-fashioned tinker I, I guess kind of going from town to town and um you know fixing people's umbrellas for them he also does all the little odd jobs he's, he's actually really quite handy but um he, he talks in one of the letters about how um you know he when he'll go into a new town and everybody will stare at him um, and then, like the the small children will like run away from him as if he's really uh, terrifying. Um, and then he and he says, you know, I, I must look. And he, he writes in the letter, you know, I, I must look terrible. Um, and, I, and then, so I want to get I want to get a mirror so so that I know what I look like. And then he manages to get hold of something reflective and looks at his reflection. And he says, I don't see anything terrible, just something a bit, uh, you know, just I just look older. And I just, yeah, to me, that just was really, you know, like that, that voice of the person who is the one who is like the despised one, you know, um, the one who everybody is scared of, who you just don't hear that person's voice very often. And like what it's like to be that person that everybody thinks is a really, you know, terrible, frightening person. But actually, it's just a, a human being, you know, in a really bad situation. Now, you said that most other authors that had written about him basically blamed him and and whatnot. When you went through his papers and you put this together, how did you come away looking at him? And obviously it's opinion, but what do what is your thoughts on what caused the troubles? And obviously to an extent we can blame him, but the overall cause, what, what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of my overall feelings about him personally, I suppose I, you know, I like him. He's, he's quite a charmer. Um, you can kind of see how he was, you know, managed to like 
he, he was quite popular with with people and in, in, you know including men and, and women and he's he's quite a charming person and you sort of get a sense of of that as, as you're reading so it's quite quite hard not to like him as you're reading the letters even though he doesn't always treat people as well as he should do he he mm-hmm. you know he he will um you know like leave women um at the drop of a hat kind of thing um but so he you know i'm certainly not claiming that he he behaved perfectly far far from it actually um but in terms of what caused it um i mean you know he gets shot in the head basically in um uh in 1863 so it was the battle of champion hill um which uh which was um you know, in, in uh, the part of the Vicksburg uh, campaign, um, and he's fighting for the 47th Indiana uh, Regiment um, for the Union, um, and he yeah he gets uh, he get he gets shot in the head um, and and shoulder as well, um, and he he got knocked unconscious by uh, by a mini ball, um, and basically he then wakes up and finds himself behind enemy lines. Um, and he's a prisoner, you know, the Confederates have, have, have captured him. Um, and he, he claims to be able to see, uh, one of the Confederate generals, um, looking through a telescope at the Union troops. He claims to be that close to him. But then the Union troops, uh, do, do their own counterattack. Um, and while that's going on, he then kind of slinks away, um, and manages to kind of rejoin the Union lines and get himself to hospital. Um, and, and he actually ends up re-enlisting and, and, you know, fighting on to the, in the rest of the war. And I, so I suppose, you know, I, I think, there's a general uh, generalized thing to blame, which is the war in terms of it turning him into an alcoholic. But I also think probably specifically that incident, I mean, I, I can't prove it, um, but I think specifically that incident, I think had a, had a big impact on him in terms, because it's something that he writes about again and again. Um, you know, he, he writes articles to newspapers about it. He repeatedly writes to McCook about it. Um, and I think, you know, something that is well known about trauma now, and, and I'm sure, you, you know, you, you guys could probably all, all tell me about this as well, you know, that, that one of the things about trauma is that people tend to kind of repeat, it tends, tends to repeat in somebody's mind, um, particularly mm-hmm. when that's, that trauma hasn't been kind of worked through properly um, or, or kind of dealt with or resolved um, in a, you know, in a sort of proper therapeutic sense. And so, yeah, I, I would, you know, I, I can't prove it, but I think that's what, um, I think it's the combination of that incident, but also the alcoholism that he picked up during the war, um, which, right. yeah, leads him then in later life after the war to, you know, treat people um, not, not particularly well, even though he could be, as I say, a bit of a charmer. I don't want to keep you on much longer and we'll, we'll close it up here in just a few minutes. But first off, the fact that he survived a mini ball. And for those that don't know, that's basically a hollow point bullet. Um, that was used during the civil war. Uh, the fact that he, yeah, the fact that he survived that is just mind boggling because they were a killer. Most people died from those. It didn't really matter where you got shot. You either died from the shot or you died from the infection or you died from something. Um, just wow. So I, I can see why he had drama. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. lie. Uh, um, also you, you mentioned, you know, he would, he would leave women at the drop of a hat. Um, would you equate that to what a lot of veterans today do and they just they don't want to deal with it anymore so let me get rid of it 
I, yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, is something that is maybe seen in, you know, people with, with yeah, who are experiencing homelessness as well. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of sense of I can, you know, try and run away from my problems and hope that they won't catch up with me, I suppose, right. um, which is obviously it's kind of a losing battle, isn't it? If the problem is sort of yeah. within, you know, you're always going to kind of carry it with you. But at the same time, it's a very understandable it's a very understandable reaction. And I think it deserves sort of empathy and sympathy and help and support. Yeah. And, and um, like. Like you said, you know, he, he definitely wasn't a saint, but at the same time, like I just said, you have to see what caused that, right? You, you can't just say, well, he was a piece of ass wall shit. Like, <laughs> um, go oh, ahead, JJ. Uh, oh, and you, you said he was a child soldier. What age did he join the Union Army? Uh, he was 16 when he signed up. Jesus. Christ. So, th- th- I mean, that's part, possibly quite a bit of the of the issue, too, is that at that age, he certainly wasn't uh, mm-hmm. in today's society what we consider mature enough to make those kinds of decisions to do things like join the army and uh, certainly don't have necessarily the emotional um, maturity to deal with the things you face in battle. That is just absolutely I mean, well, but at the same time, we have uh, records of uh, uh, soldiers who lied and joined uh, World War II at the age of 14. So, yeah, because right. there was a they, some of them done sort of a, a non fib where, and I can't remember the exact quote, but when they would be in the sign up line, they would actually put on a piece of paper they were 18 or 19 in their shoe and say, I was stand, I'm standing on 18 or whatever that quote was. I can't remember exactly what that saying was. And they weren't lying. They were literally standing on that, but they were talking about their age instead, mm-hmm. which it's just, wow. You know, <laughs> um, Oh, and we do have a question uh, from our chat from Red's Place. She asked, what's next for you? Uh, do you have anything else on the horizon? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of got a couple of projects that I'm tr- basically trying to see whether I can get any of them funded <laughs> to see, uh, <laughs> before I decide which of them to sort of go, go for first. So um, one potential project is um, I'd quite like to do some work on um, – Paulie Murray, uh, who was the um, uh, the jurist and sort of civil rights activist, um, and another, but another project um, which I think might be a, more of a longer term project is I'd like to do a book on um, American prison writings because uh, that that isn't something that has been written about a lot, and I think you know a lot of really important works of literature and politics and philosophy and religion and all kinds of, you know, areas have been written while people have been in prison. So um, mm-hmm. I think that'd be re- really interesting. Quite, quite looking forward to getting my teeth into that one. I can tell you, we awesome. understand the getting the funding part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> most of this Get is out, out of you. our pockets. <laughs> Go ahead, War Dog. I just wanted, I wanted to touch on, um, I mean, cause that, when I read the book, I totally, um, I, I just wanted current and modern veterans to always get that, that acknowledgement, like, man, whatever we're dealing with now have gone through, this has been going on, you know, we're not alone. We're right, not alone. Right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I really wanted, uh, Owen to touch on the, uh, status of, uh, British soldier, uh, homelessness yes. and suicide, because we know what our stats are here in the U S but we really don't, um, you know, we haven't had a chance, uh, many of us, to 
to find out or to delve into what it's like in the UK for their combat veterans? Yeah, I think I think it's very similar. So I, I think um, the uh, rates of, I mean, the the army in Britain. I don't, I don't know about where I don't know about in the US, but in, in in Britain, the army don't like those stats about suicide to be made public, unfortunately. But in terms of um, in terms of homelessness, I know it's very high. I, I mean, I, I think it's even sort of twenty, thirty percent. Um, so uh, you know, a really disproportionate number of people, and you know, for very similar reasons to what happened with Roving Bill, right? That when people are you know are no longer kind of useful, they they often just get kind of dumped and expected to just go back to civilian life as if they haven't been through an absolutely earth shattering, life changing, psyche bending experience for the last however many years, and then just all all of a sudden supposed to sort of switch back into you know into being a, a normal civilian again and um oftentimes that is not possible without much more support than is made available so yeah it's a very similar situation i think um what uh, somebody um who's a friend of mine um called joe glenton has written um a book actually about um uh, about British um, ex-servicemen, uh, which came out last year, um, and I forget the title of it now, um, but his name's Joe Glenton. So if people are interested in, um, uh, yes, uh, hearing about uh, British uh, former vets, uh, I, would, I would Google him and check his latest book out. Um, one other question that I had pertaining to the UK and your veterans, correct me if I'm wrong. You don't really have a veterans affairs over there. Do you, what kind of veteran services does the UK offer? Um, yeah, I don't know if there is as much even necessarily as, uh, as you, as you guys have, we have the British Legion, which is a kind of charity that, um, mm-hmm funds uh you know uh for specifically for uh for veterans right. um and they you know they fundraise we, we were talking about the the pop red pop red poppies uh in november uh they fund um for that um and you know when people get military pensions which is supposed to help and, and i think the other funding that people can get is you know if they want to go and do university courses which i, I believe is also the case in the u.s as well mm-hmm. um but it might very well be that there is um possibly less than uh than in, than is in the u.s yeah there, i i knew you guys didn't have a dedicated quote-unquote veterans affairs which is a travesty and and i know a few people uh from the uk and i follow a few people and and stuff like that that served and they they uh have the black dog chasing them quite a bit um so it i i wish that we could do so much more for you guys uh especially in terms of veterans and homelessness in general it's it's sad really that you know you you do something that you love and and for your country nonetheless and they're like yeah okay well you're on your own now you know i'm not saying the va is the greatest thing in the world it's not but i am grateful for what they have obviously done, but at the same time, they're not perfect. I'm going to say right now, they're not perfect. Um, JJ or Wardog, do you have any other questions or anything for Owen? I would just like to say, Owen, um, thank you. Uh, one of the uh, guiding principles in my life is a quote from George Santayana that uh, just as simply those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And so I would really like to commend you for finding this piece of the past that's 
so deeply relatable to the modern veteran, both in the U.S. and and in Great Britain, and bringing it back to light. Um, I think that if we can start to understand and acknowledge that the past foretold the future, that we were not al- we are not alone, that this that that we're not the first, and uh, but maybe if we begin to study it and understand it, we can be the last generations that have to deal with these kinds of uh, issues. So thank you very, very much for your uh, scholarship and for bringing, I think, of what could become a very important uh, uh, book in the library of the, uh, of the American veteran to light. Uh, thank you very much. 100%. Oh, thank you. That that means a tremendous amount. Thank you. I, I really, really do appreciate that. And, you know, amen to everything you were saying there as well. And, um, you know, so, so often in, uh, in academia, it can feel uh, like your, uh, you know, what you're doing doesn't necessarily uh, matter or have an impact in the real world. So I, I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Wardog. I wanted to thank Owen as well. And uh, also Christina Ward at Feral House Publishing uh, in the state of Washington. I truly, just as uh, JJ said, appreciate you sharing your work of art uh, and, you know, letting our current and modern day veterans know, uh, myself included, that, hey, any of the struggles that I had that I or still continue to uh, deal with, have been going on for over a hundred years. And the fact that you've been able to equate that so well from a wounded uh, civil war combat veteran to our present day uh, veterans. um, I I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, what I've done is pretty small in comparison to what you, you are all doing with the work that you do, but I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm not going to rehash what JJ and Wardog said because I can't say it any better. Uh, but Owen, is there any places that you advise people to go check your book out and purchase it right now? Like, go ahead, tell them, tell them, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think it's available from all good bookstores or at least that's the phrase, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I think you can uh, get it from um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and those kinds yeah. of, uh, those kinds of places. Um, it's on the Zon. It's on the Zon. Right. right. It's, uh, it's in my cart. That's how I know. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and if anybody wants to leave a review once they've read it, that would also be great. Absolutely. Yeah. I promise I will. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. That's one thing we harp here. We, we've got a couple of uh, veteran authors that we work closely with. And that's one thing I'm like, leave a review, please. Um uh, again, Owen, thank you and and everybody uh, that you're working with to to come here and, and be on the show. I don't know why in the hell you would want to be on this show, but thank you. <laughs> um, oh, it's been a blast. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you taking such a late time uh, on your Sunday morning uh, to come <laughs> and do this with us, truly. Uh, and like JJ and, and Wardog said, this – you. Don't sell yourself short. Uh, you're, you're doing a lot more than you realize. And in the right hands, this is going to be, like JJ said, a huge wake-up call for 99% of the veterans in the right hands. And, and hopefully that happens. And thank you, Owen. Uh, we appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our uh, listeners tonight? 
Oh, just thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and um, you know, good luck with all your, um, you know, your struggles um, because it's it's not easy. But yeah, I, I guess uh, if if Bill has got a lesson, is that it's that you're not alone, and um, you don't need to feel like um, you know that there's something wrong with you. In fact, uh, it might be that something has been done uh, wrong has been done to you instead. So um, keep keep on the good fight, uh, looking after yourselves, and um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Owen. Good night and good morning. Thank you. <laughs> you too. Uh, so that was Dr. Owen Clayton. Uh, he put together uh, the dispatches called Roving Bill Aspinall Dispatches, dispatches from a hobo in post-Civil War America. You can buy that at Amazon. While you're there, go to smile.amazon.com. McDeeby Farm, your shirt and shorts, and a portion of your shopping cart purchase goes directly to the DB Farm. No hidden fees are its costs. Um, yeah, so what a wake-up You know up what call. kills me? What, what, what kind of, I mean, it, it, you know, I... I I'm not upset because at least there are scholars who are looking at this, but why isn't, a, why aren't American scholars digging? We're so busy mm-hmm. fucking digging up woke culture and, and yeah. you know, everything's racist that we're missing our own history. Yeah. And so how great to have somebody who I, I guess would be as, uh, separated enough from the nonsense that's going on in American academia to take a look at some historic documents and bring us our own history back to us. And and just, wow, how cool, you know, at least somebody out there is thinking past their latest fad. Yeah. And, and, you know, I noticed that that's, that's not that all uncommon. I mean, even Americans, Americans will write about Europe or Africa or whatever. And other countries will write about America. And I'm like, we can't even do our own historical research, and and actually, well, you and know, you got to have the right like, agenda to look at our own research, right? right? And, and you know, you look at where all the money goes when we when we do research <laughs> and studies, and like then, I said, got to have the right agenda, right? And then you have someone like Owen who's like, "Hey, I came across these papers, and I was like, this needs to be out there." Or yeah, another great person that does that, Mike Gordia. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I mean, just the facts, just the history. Yes. I yes. mean, that's so refreshing. There's no narrative on their behalf. There's no po- political whatever. There's nothing in it. And it's it's their words, right? It's it's their life. So focus on their words and their life. Nothing else. Yeah. And, and yeah. How awesome. Yeah. What? A, it, how humbling. How humbling to have a, a British scholar bring us our history and show us. <laughs> A picture of ourselves from 120 years ago, you know, I got I got to say Red's place uh, for those that's not in chat said, am I the only one who thought Hobohemian was just a posh way of saying shabby? (laughs) shabby. (laughs) (laughs) That's I like that. I love, I love it. That's great. <laughs> oh, that shit. is great. Oh, I'm glad. Go. Owen, it looks like Owen got into chat. That's great. Yeah, that is awesome. You get to see what a bunch of uh, reprobates we really are. <laughs> I've seen him in there, and I was like, "Oh, well, this is going to be bad." Uh, yeah. we've broken our professionalism. And, and now DV Radio has created an international incident. Yes, yes, we have. Um, yes. So if, score. So if, so if you can't reach the website or the social media, you know why? Um, it's because the FBI is kicking down our doors. Not that we aren't already on this. Um, <laughs> Bring it, Fed boys. 
They call us dysfunctional veterans for a reason. <laughs> you know what is functional in my house? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so we've got a lot going on this week. And that's literally and figuratively. Uh, True. With, with me rebuilding all the websites, we're actually beta testing the new DV radio site myself and Sergeant Wardog, and I think Mayhem is as well. I, I'm not for sure. And then I'm building the DV Farm website. I'm going to be working on the dysfunctional website in a few days. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I've been, like, sort of not everywhere. Um, and then we got Patreon. Um, I haven't pulled all of our money out of Patreon. Wait, wait, wait. I, I haven't been able to pull our money out of Patreon yet because of the incident that happened today and Google wasn't able to get with me so we could do our paperwork to get our money out because we made over $600 this year already. Woo, Brandon. Um, (laughs) that being said, publicly, I will not put out in writing on social media so Patreon can't go over there and hold our money. I will not say publicly in writing again on Facebook or Twitter why we're leaving Patreon. Knowing that Patreon will not listen to this unless one of you dick f***s send it to them. I said I said it. What exactly is a dick f***? I don't know. I'm going to have to edit that out now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. We've War got dog. canceled TV. War dog over there. He's like, damn, I ain't a part of this shit. Because <laughs> I'm like, ooh, he just offended the whole entire LGBT community. Oh, my God. Look, look, we had Owen on. I can say f- because I'm relating that to cigarettes. There um, we go, right. It's British, it's British, really. <laughs> yeah, okay, I get you. I get you. Pass me a fact. Uh, I got you. But at the same time, man, to say pass me that, you know, pass me a f- I mean, that's like, you know, pass me a pussy. I mean, come on. That's like- <laughs> at least it's that way in jail. I mean, oh you know, my God. so I've heard. <laughs> Matter of fact, pass me a f- I mean, yeah, pass me a cigarette after I've had some pussy. That's normally the way we, that's our cycle wait, normally. Wait, 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 War wait. dog over here going lick, lick, pass. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious and we just oh, turned this whole Lord. thing upside down, man. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. We might not be able to podcast any of this now. Um <laughs> Blame it on the psych ward game. Let's put it this way. Look, if your hair is blue, bright pink, uh, any shade of orange, just tune out now because we're going to piss you off. (laughs) Okay, so, (laughs) goddamn, on a serious note. Lord, and apologize while apologizing. I don't apologize for shit. I mean, I'm not down in any gaze or anything. Being offended is a choice. Look, I, I just. I just use stupid words. I mean, I'll make fun of everybody. I don't give a damn. Um, right? Everybody's fucking fair game, right? including the Brits. <laughs> now that he's gone. Um, seriously, though, uh, I'm taking this off Patreon because and, and the rumors started a few months ago, back in March, March, May, somewhere in there, um, that parents 
who were overlooking Instagram accounts for their children, which is fine, uh, were actually linking to Patreon for exclusive content. Now, on the surface, that sounds okay, right? Well, after some digging, it was found out that these were quote-unquote risque pictures. Now, I'm not against risque pictures. However, when it's a child doing risque pictures, yes, I might. That would that would be technically illegal in 50 states. Yeah. That's enough um, to get your ass whooped. <laughs> oh, it's enough to get your ass thrown in a wood chipper. And I know. I'm just saying. I know there are already people that are saying, but it's not true. It's not. Well, just this month, he, he being the, what, founder, CEO, whatever, a Patreon basically got rid of the entire entire cybersecurity team at Patreon. He's saying it has no relation with what's going on, but I'm not going to speculate. That being said, until I know for a fact that isn't going on at Patreon or any platform we're working with um, that can do something about it right now, which Patreon can, and they have said that they were always against it, but obviously not. Um, we're not going to use Patreon. We're not. It's it's not happening. Um, we're totally against it. It's not only is it immoral and illegal, it's fucking disgusting and wrong. And if you're a parent that's listening to this right now and you're one of those parents, you need to reevaluate your fucking life. Point blank. Somebody's going to do it for you if you don't. I'm just saying that's not a threat. That's that's life. Um, for those that were Patreon members, i.e. patrons, number one, if you still want to continue to do your five pounds of darkness as of right now, if you will email us, we will work it out so you can do it through PayPal if you don't mind. If you do mind that, we can send up. Wait, five pounds of darkness? Is that really what you call it? Yeah. On, on Patreon? Yeah. I call it five pounds of darkness. Did you did you ask James Dave for Chappelle for permission? Nope. <laughs> the darkness. Charlie Murphy. I could not think. I could uh, you know, you're supposed to keep your title short for each tier. And I was like, what can I think? Five what can I do? And I and I don't know what prompted me to go the darkness while I was, was typing this shit out, but I did. It was Dave I, Chappelle. That's where you got that. Well, that's the thing. I listen to music when I work. So I literally, as I wrote five, I go the darkness. And I was like, that's it. Five pounds of darkness. So thank you, Dave Chappelle. I do not owe you money because I did not call it the darkness. Um, Coincidentally, five pounds of darkness is what uh, War Dog calls a schlong. So. Oh, well, uh, excuse me. <laughs> Only five pounds? Are you fucking kidding me? Only five pounds? Hey, look, bro. I mean, no disrespect, but my deck is bigger than yours. <laughs> my deck. My deck, he says. My deck. Um, Maybe in North Carolina, but not in Texas, baby. <laughs> it shrivels up in the heat, huh? Um, so <laughs> it dries out. So if you don't want to use, pay, if you don't want to, if you don't want to use PayPal to get your five pounds of coffee <laughs> or five pounds of darkness, we can do an invoice through our bank and we can do it that way. 
if you had prefer to go ahead and go to Yubora Coffee, is it YuboraCoffee.com? Yes. Yeah. If you would rather yeah, prefer yeah, go to go to Yubora, yeah, if you'd rather go to YuboraCoffee.com and do it yourself, that's fine as well. Um, just let us know. Because if you don't let us know, I'm going to presume that you do not want to continue doing that until we have something else set up. Uh, we did have a Kofi.com. Actually, we do have a Kofi.com. It's Kofi.com slash DV radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing some reading on, on coffee.com and uh, they don't charge fees like you get 100%. Um, so I'm not sure how they're making money. They they have a legacy thing, yeah. So uh, which it's really fucking cool. So, but um, none of you seemed interested in it a long time ago. So if you do seem interested in it now, Kofi dot com slash DV Radio, and I'll drop and that. Yeah, like I, yeah, and like I said in chat, I fucking canceled my pay, my Patreon. I didn't have. I had one patron. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, I canceled my Patreon. I just moved over to Kofi coffee.com and, uh, just changed over. I had, uh, an account there for PTS dog and I just switched to, I just changed all the names and everything to, to what I would. So, yeah, if, uh, anybody is concerned about coffee.com, there's really no reason to be concerned. Um, I'm not saying that we'll get to do a lot with coffee.com, but you can go to there and donate. They actually plus. seem to be expanding their services. I think, uh, again, I was doing a little exploration um, before I decided to just say fuck Patreon altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think that they picked up on what Patreon was putting down yeah. and they uh, are like, Hey, we can, we can jump in and take over that slot. Yeah, so and hopefully another, they become much more much more robust. Another good thing about Kofi, it I say coffee, but I think it's Kofi. Um, but anyway, um, well, no, because their thing is buy me a cup of coffee. So I think shush, it's coffee. Shush, it's Kofi. <laughs> um, you can connect your bank, so we can connect our bank directly instead of our PayPal, which is even better. Um, but that's all up to you. Uh, yeah. I did put the NSFW concept thing up there. Thank you, Rev, for noticing that. I don't know how many people actually noticed. Um, I believe you can do more than the allotted $3 that I obviously put on there. Um, yeah, you can. Um, so that's all up to you. I'm not going to tell you how much to put in there. That That's all up to you. Um, and like I said, we'll try to use coffee as much as we possibly can um, and as far as DV6's Patreon, we're still up in the air on him right now because he's got so much going on. So that's up to you. Um, and if you want to find out a, another way to donate to him, let us know. Obviously, email us. Um, yeah, I, uh, until I find out otherwise, I'm, I'm not using Patreon. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry. Um, I know I put out a post everywhere to say, Hey, cancel your stuff. I think all of you did. I can't close the Patreon until I pull all of our money out. Hopefully we get to do that in the next few days. Um, so yeah. Um, go ahead, JJ. Go. You want to go now? Yep. All right. Hey, uh, real quick before I bail, um, doing a raffle, 
Uh, you, you can read about it on my Facebook page uh, or my Instagram, but I'm raffling a uh, walnut urn with brass threaded insert that holds just over two full cups of uh, uh, dry material, 28 cubic inches, uh, $5 per uh, ticket. And uh, links are in my link tree, which is linked in the posts. So, uh, check it out. I'm trying to get together the money to buy a bandsaw because that's a big pinch. That's a big productivity uh, pinch in my workflow is I don't have a bandsaw. So I'm trying to scratch together the money to get one. So please check that out and uh, give me some support if you're able. Let me know something. What? <laughs> Are you serious Dude, right now? Do you know how much a bandsaw is? Not that, that I have the, the not, size I need, dude. I'm not talking about that. Oh, Roger, <laughs> yeah. Oh, duh. I will. I'll, I'll touch bases with you. I'm sorry, I have to bail, guys. Never more had an incident at work. Uh, I need to be available when she gets home. Yep. Hey, I hope she's okay, man. Right. Thanks, guys. Have a great evening. Later, brother. Right on. Um, I'm dropping the link tree right now, and that'll be in our podcast description. I thought I had that, and apparently not. Um, remind me. Well, Link's not here. Maybe you can remind me. We're talking <laughs> to put that sure. in our in our links on the uh, on our um, card. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you gotta f- have a use for me somewhere. Might as well be that. <laughs> um. Like I said, we're beta testing the DV radio site right now. Uh, it's it's actually working pretty good tonight uh, on on my computer, as far as I can tell. Uh, I think War Dog is using it. I think JJ used it, uh, and like I said, I think Nahum used it. Uh, I don't think he's in here right now. Um, and I think Betsy's been looking at it uh, too. Um, we are looking at moving over to a new host completely because it will save us like three hundred fucking dollars, and that's great. Uh, there might be times where the website's down, but we can at least give you the radio link. I'm not too worried about that. Um, everybody that I know that's used this service, the only time they had a really bad outage was actually just a couple weeks ago when I first started using this. Um, and it was like 18 hours, but it's the first time it had ever happened. So um, 99% uptime. I'm not going to falter that at all uh it is the technology world shit happens at times but they credit you for every hour that they have problems so that's a great thing too i'd like to also take this time uh, on a serious note to remind everyone that uh 988 again is now the uh national number that you can call for any type of uh mental health crisis so, yes, we have the uh, veterans crisis line and all, but uh, if you need any other type of assistance, don't forget the digits 988 are now available for quick and easy uh, access to resources. Yes. I thought I put that on our card. It might not be visible. Remind me of that as well. Right on, right on, brother. Um, I didn't break it. Uh, the people who used to sponsor us and uh, with monies, and people that keep promising to buy products and a lot of other stuff broke it because we're broke 
and we need to save money somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, I didn't break shit. No, actually, there's nothing wrong with our, our website now. It's just, it's a lot more costlier. It's, I can cut our costs by, let me see, by a, oh, fuck, I'm a dumbass tonight. Um, I'd help you out, bro, but I'm not, um, not tracking and copying on where you're going with that one. I was I was trying to find the pricing. Uh, it's about a sixty some percent decrease in price. So, yeah, right just on. just tonight, Red. What are you talking about, Betsy? You made yeah. it. You Glad made it, girl. You made it. Uh, we got somebody in Washington State, Cali, Colorado, uh, Missouri. Uh, looks like Iowa, maybe Illinois. I can't really tell because it's like literally on the state line. We got Florida and of course we got Mama P in North Kakalaki. I said, I, did I, did I say I was a dumbass tonight? I'm a dumbass every day. I mean, <laughs> I was a dumbass in my mama's womb. So <laughs> like, like I was so dumb in my mom's womb. Her water didn't break. Oh, how'd you playing. come out then? No, you I came out at like you came, came out flipped upside down. You were one of those actually, babies, weren't you? Actually, close. Um, my mom's water didn't break with me. She had really terrible back pains, <clears throat> and so when I was born, I can't remember. She she can't actually remember what was the reason behind it because it was so long ago. Um, but I call them salad tongs. They're actually forceps. Um, but the doctor had to use salad tongs and pull me out because I, I was like, fuck you, motherfucker. I ain't shit. I'm, I'm living my life. Get fed. Ain't got to do nothing. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was a, I was a hard head in the womb, um, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> now, my brother, he was pretty easy, she said. Um, her water broke with him and ev- her and everything. Like, it was it was easy. I think, I can't remember. I think she got an epidural with one of us and the other one she didn't. I can't remember which one, but she was like, yeah, it was, it was a huge difference in birthing the two of us, you know, like <laughs> I was like, Oh, so the smart one was the good one, huh? <laughs> Talking about my brother. Cause he's a fucking genius. I'll be sitting here and, and like, and I used to be really good at math. Like I could sit here and fucking write that shit out. And now I have to do it in my head. And even that takes a little bit longer sometimes. And he'll be like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck you too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, actually I, I didn't, uh, I don't know. I don't know how they grabbed me or anything with it, but no, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a warts head. Um, I just, I just know I, I was a asshole and didn't want to come out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I do know that my mom said that Dr. Everhart, who 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 gave who who birthed me? Uh, she said when they were 
I think they were pushing her back to the uh, to her room. <laughs> he gave he came by and he said everything will be all right or something like that, and gave her this huge ass Hershey's bar and put it under her pillow. And she said that was the greatest thing ever. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> If you can't tell, Hershey's is her favorite candy these days. Um, <laughs> one of, I should say. Especially Hershey's with almonds. Uh, Bro, can I tell you, I'm not sure why it's been nagging me so much, but mm-hmm. the whole idea of uh, stolen valor has really been pissing me off lately. You know how social media, you'll see guys with uniforms that don't add up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just, uh, you know, medals and ribbons and even branches crossed up and that sort of thing. And um, I don't know, part of that gets me as well as uh, the way, you know, fashion, fashion statements for them to use our, uh, our rank insignia on clothes and whatnot and not Mm -hmm. knowing what people actually had to go through to gain those stripes and ranks. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. It's just been kind of nagging me lately. The whole, like if you didn't do something or aren't someone, why do some people, you know, want to come off as veterans that have actually, you know, sacrificed man. The same reason people, uh, well, the, the guy who masqueraded around is Stanley Kubrick, uh, the same reason to get the, accolades, the recognition, the stuff to, to get attention. To get right. attention. Right. That's why it is. Um to an extent. But they really don't, you know, they they're just to me it's just that, you know, they didn't put in the blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And that's well, what it gets me, man. I think it should be a federal crime just like impersonating an officer or any type of federal employee, because what is a soldier? A fucking federal employee. But it's not illegal unless, or it, it's not against the law, I should say. It's not against the law unless you get something monetarily, right? Like, I don't, and I don't understand that. That's because it was a bad surgence of it. This is what, 2022? Uh, actually, it was around the time I took over DV Radio. Not long after I took over DV Radio, a huge ass surgence of stolen valor happened because, um, there's a Navy SEAL, and I know people know who I'm talking about, and I can't place his name. He would go after Navy SEAL posers, and he would be like, cool. all right, you motherfuckers. Uh, I want to say his name is Don something. Don Shipley. I want to get him on DV radio. I've never been able to get him on DV radio. Uh, if you've never heard of him, go to ExtremeSealExperience.com. Um, he, he does some great stuff. Um, he's great. Absolutely amazing. He got taken off of YouTube. You can imagine why. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I'll tell you this other thing that's been nagging me, Bo. Yeah. The idea of, um, I mean, we mentioned the stolen valor part, Mm -hmm. but, uh, also talking about, and um, I, I don't know, like individuals. Uh, okay, it, it hit me a few times when I deployed. Like, hey man, why aren't well, you know all the big, strong, you know, whatever athletes, so on and so forth, out there helping us? 
You know what I mean? It's like, why'd I get knocked on? You know, why'd I have to carry three loads of uh, of going to Iraq when we got all these, you know, uh, you know, huge, tall uh, pro athletes? I mean, yes, it did dawn on me like, okay, yeah, there is obviously more fame and fortune in going after that. But it's like there were too many times when I would come home each time and be like, am I in this alone? I mean, you know, you walk past so many civilians that obviously, you know, we've all been through that feeling of like, they don't care. Yeah. But also, I mean, it just hit me. It just hit me sometimes like, you know how much easier it would have been if you had like whatever, a six, eight, you know, 250 pound guy that could be there to help, you know, to carry these packs or to help in jump in a firefight, that sort of thing. Um, I, I used to get wrapped up on that a lot, man. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you say that. I, I brought a lot of stuff home from serving in general. Like, I had a tendency to speed. That was a big thing because even when you're on base, you tend to speed, right? Am I the only one? Well, unless you got a bunch of, you know, strict asshole MP, uh, MPs that keep you on point. <laughs> yeah. Know? Um. I had a tendency to speed and I'm really surprised I never got a ticket. Not that I was like a reckless driver, but I sped obviously. Um, that was a huge thing. And to this day, just going to a doctor's office, man, I, I make sure my mom puts me in a corner where I can see the door and everybody. Cause it's just like this. It's like, what, what's it called? It's like a second sense. And I have to know everything, all my surroundings and who's coming in. And I can't have, Somebody coming up behind me, like, don't fucking do that. Like, yeah, don't yeah. like, I don't mind you coming and getting my wheelchair if I know you're doing it. Like, I know my mom's getting ready to push me out. Okay, that's cool. But my aunt has a tense, what she did when I was in, in the living room, she can't hear in my room anymore. But the way the living room set up, it was in front of the kitchen. So everybody came from the kitchen behind me. And I would always get a sense when somebody was behind me. But she would always come up behind me really soft, like, and try to hug me from behind or tap me on the shoulder. And I almost not the, I almost cold cocked her one day. Like my elbow was like right there on the bridge of her nose. And she went, Oh, Bo. And I was like, I told your ass. And she's laughing. And I'm like, No, no, that, no. Like we laugh about it obviously today, but like it's serious. Like I don't. And a lot of it stems from when I got hit from behind with a bat. But then you go into service and you go to Iraq and you're always looking over your shoulder, even when you're on a cop or JSS or a fob, like, cause you don't know if something's going to pop off. Like, right. I know there's some soldiers that's like, ah, oh, you, you weren't in it. I don't care if you were in it or not. When you hear small arms fire outside your cop, you're going to be looking over your fucking shoulder. And that happened a lot where I was stationed, like the entire fucking tour, man. <laughs> yeah, um, bro, I was the same way, man. Uh, I, I remember once, um, a few years back, I had a nephew that was following me on the highway. And he was asking me, like, like what's wrong with you that every time I start to get close to you, you know, I, you know, you know, catching up from behind, <laughs> you just haul ass and take off, you know, <laughs> yeah. faster. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> Um, to add to that, I, you know, no bullshit have a Marine buddy who, uh, uh, the police, you know, jump behind him because of, um, uh, you know, because of his speeding 
Mm-hmm. And he no shit kind of freaked out, kind of felt like the enemy was behind him, was yeah. on him. And he took those cops on one of those no bullshit <laughs> California highway chase, uh, high speed chase. Damn. And uh, he ended up getting, you know, like a, a felony from that. And uh, so, you know, once we even returned from deployment for a few months, man, each weekend, he'd have to go sit in the county jail. Jesus. And I know that sounds weird as hell. And, but I've uh, heard of that a lot. You know, ju- just the fact that I totally got it because he was, you know, everyone was like, why'd you do it, bro? What was your problem? But when he told us, he was like, man, when they pulled up behind me and the lights and, you know, we had just come from Fallujah, something had just like sparked in him like that. You know, mm-hmm. the enemy was on me. The enemy was behind me. And um, I totally understood where he came from when he said it. And I, and I heard it. I mean, yeah. I wasn't the one, you know, to give him shit or anything because I, I got it. Yes, he ended up with a felony because of it. But you, you know what I mean? You, know, mm-hmm. you got somebody in pursuit of you in, in any way, uh, shape, form or fashion, uh, especially after being, you know, in war, it's going to resonate somewhere else in, in your, your life. Mm-hmm. It's muscle memory, right? It's the same yeah, way. You're wa- watching your six or, you know, being careful that. You know, someone's on you, you know, trying to attack you from behind. I got to get some Valerian Root, too. I I keep talking to people about Valerian Root, especially D.V. Fox. And I think uh, I can't think of her name. It's like Minx or something on Twitter. She was talking about the other day because somebody said something about CBD or or marijuana. I was like, man, I wish I could have that. I wouldn't have to worry about some shit. Um, and they brought up Valerian root, which I've looked into it, but it's not something that I'm like, Oh yeah, let me try it. You know, it's just one of those things like, all right, I'll get around to it. Um, but going back to the, to the driving and shit, I, I totally understand that. Like, I think it was my mom when I got back. Cause I just, yeah, we had just gotten my Mustang and I, we hadn't even started rebuilding it yet. And I was driving my ex-wife's, uh, wife at the time, uh, for the skate and that, that little son bitch would run, let me tell you. But uh she was following me somewhere. My mom was and the same thing. She would get close to me and I was trying to keep a distance because I still had that thing in my mind where if we get fucked up, you know, somebody needs yeah, to get the fuck out of here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. So that so, the, the idea or whatever doesn't take yes. us both out, right? Yes. 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 You get dispersion locked into your mind like you know, fuck, right. fuck any kind of uh, tailgating, man. That would piss us off. Well, yeah, and I think that's another reason that tailgating pissed me off when I got back from Iraq. And to this day, it's like anything happens, and what if you got to get away in the back of my head? But in reality, I know that we're not going to run over an IED. Like, the chances are really slim, right? But still, in the back of my head, I'm like, Man, if we get fucking ambushed, you know, and I know it's stupid because I was a cook, but we were a support unit and we had our own QRF. We had all that. And, 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 and like we trained for that. It wasn't just, okay, you got to train to cook for 5,000 people. No, we trained in Humvees and fucking RGs and MRAPs and clearing rooms and all that. Like we done all that. I was a cook and I was qualified on an AT4 50 cal, uh, 238. Is that what it is? Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm only thinking of the Mark 19 right now. I didn't, I don't remember. There, there, uh, there's so many in my head right now and I can't remember yeah, all the ones yeah. I was qualified. This dude, 
that was 2008, nine. I'm supposed to remember all that, but I was qualified on that. And I was a cook going to Iraq. Like what? your convoys would get hit. You know how that is. Exactly. Fucking targets. We lost quite a few soldiers and, you know, supposedly the war had died down right in 2009. You remember hearing that? Oh, the war's not yeah. as bad as it once was. Oh, yeah. And my mom's sitting here watching news and she's seeing fucking IED explosions and shit. And our, our roads are black, so I can't call home and nobody knows what's going on, you know? And then I call her and she's like, well, I talked to blah, blah, blah. And, and they hadn't heard from you. And I was like, well, I told them the roads were black. Cause I couldn't talk to my mom at the time. Cause of whatever. But well, yeah, anyway, and, and Betsy brought up a good point. She said, y'all are now talking about why I write fight. You know, we were talking about the, the, the stuff we brought home and I'm not saying all of it's bad and none of it's really bad. Right. It's, it's just like a ballet dancer. You, you bring a lot of that stuff after you quit ballet into your normal everyday life. Right. I mean, right. acting, anything you do in life, you, you take into the next chapter, if you will. Same goes for first responders, man. Uh, was, law enforcement and mm-hmm. you know uh, medical paramedics and all that. Yeah, man. Firefighters. I was just eight. about. Yep. It, it's it's the same with everybody. Every no matter what walk of life, I think you take that experience with you to your next chapter. Like I said, it's just I think some it's worse than others. Yeah. My yeah. mom's my mom's covering Scooby up to make her go to sleep. We'll, we'll see how long that takes. Cause she still won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> she was being a bitch tonight. <laughs> the, the odd part to me, bro, is like mm-hmm. the little things that you wouldn't think of that would, that, you know, spark things in you. Um, for instance, I, I happened to be somewhere where someone was like, you know, pulling a chair back mm-hmm. just to, uh, you know, let someone else sit down that screeching. And, um, yeah, bro, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the screeching or the thud, thud, thud. Or, um, I'll be in a pool hall, right? And for some reason, each time I hear them break, you know, break the balls, um, you jump, not jump, but it really reminds me of, uh, you know, those close sounds Startles of yeah. snapping that's like near you. So every time they break, I got to like brace myself, like, all right, good. It's, you know, it's not an AK round. It's just a game. You know what I mean? We're just playing pool, shooting shit, you know, does anything from your training, and I know some people are going to find this stupid, but does anything, did anything happen in your training that sort of gave you PTSD today? Mostly when about. it comes to like, uh, we all know what it's like when you find unexploded or, or uh, unexploded ordinance and also controlled debts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know every, you know, many vets go through uh, any kind of controlled detonations versus yes 4th of July and New Year's fireworks versus yeah. also car backfires man yeah. um for some reason i draw a lot a big parallel you know between between those um or uh i had a kid near me once throwing in uh throwing one of those nerf footballs that whistle Yes. And that got me like I was hearing mortar rounds, even like training on a range somewhere. That makes me like, that made me pause for a second. Like, oh shit, we got indirect coming. What's up? You know, I, uh, 
when I was in basic, we were doing, I think it's called mount training today where you go in and clear rooms and shit. And we had the con. Yeah, bro. Yep. Well, back then it was the connexes. We, because we were just transitioning from woodland to urban at that time. And I was actually the last class at Fort Jackson to do the grenade course, which big hurrah for me. Um, but we were doing the connex, connexes and I go in and we got, you know, all the, the gear on and shit. And it, for those that don't know, it's like a laser tag. And when it goes off, it's a really loud beep. Like it's on a frequency that's, pretty close to fucking tinnitus <laughs> and i say that to say this i'm in the connex we're going against the wall and i didn't know that the window of the connex was actually open game for our drill sergeants to do whatever because they were actually giving us orders through this one window and i was like okay that's off limits right apparently not so we're now we're knelt down in combat form getting ready to go around this corner well, they say something, and then the next thing I know, I hear a clunk, clunk, clunk. I look to my right, and about the time I do, a fucking simulation grenade was sitting right beside me. Like, literally, I could have picked it up without reaching for it. He dropped a simulation grenade into the window at me, and it went off no sooner than I looked at it. And I thought <laughs> that my mount gear went off because of that loud fucking beep tinnitus yeah. that you get in your ear yeah. after a yeah. fucking explosion goes off. And ever since then, I don't care what kind of loud noise it is. It doesn't make me jump per se. Like we were talking earlier with you, but I like automatic. I'm like a fucking meerkat. I automatically, my ears perk up and I turn that way. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, like, <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I hate that so much because in, 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 in reality, I know that's nothing bad, but my brain's like, oh, motherfucker, you better get ready. <laughs> Shit about right. to fuck off. Cause that's how he, how he started our training. Apparently that was his fucking, what is it called? Uh, cap gun for the races. Uh, what is that damn thing called? Starter pistol. That's basically what that was. And it, it dropped right next to me. And I was just, dude, ever since then, nope. I don't mind fireworks and shit, but as soon as I hear it, my chest starts thumping. That anxiety comes over me. Feels like uh, you can't breathe a little bit or it gets harder to breathe, I should say, you know. I know you know what I'm talking about. I ain't got to explain hey, it. Oh, but. yeah, exactly, man. Uh, the first few years, you know, coming out of the uh, coming out of the Marine Corps, I remember, uh, you know, during, like, 4th of July, it wasn't just the sounds. It's the fact that also, like, uh, I happened to be driving on my way to work, and, you know, the smoke that was coming from the fireworks as you drive down the street, yes. and then that, it just brought a whole bunch of shit back, like, like, damn, what's up? You know, do I need to be on point, or am I, you know? Stateside, just driving again. I'm not going to ask JJ this because I know what it is, and I and I know it brings up terrible memories for him. And if you don't want to answer it, please let me know. Um, but is there a smell that resonates with you that you you're just like, nope, get that the fuck away from me? Yes, bro. Yes. Um, certain smell, especially when I'm you know camping and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Certain smells of things burning. Mm -hmm. Either remind me of like, I know you have so much experience around the burn pits mm -hmm. yep. or especially just, you know, decayed flesh and bodies uh, mm -hmm. burning. There's certain smells of things that 
they just take me right back there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't. So I felt bad when I, I told my mom when I was living in the living room, but I think she understands more now than, than when I told her. Because I worked at the burn pits. I was the trash guy, man. Like, fuck. Um, I can't stand the smell of trash. Like, I can't. Like, as soon as it starts smelling, it's got to go. Like, if I yeah. can do it before then, it's got to go. And burning trash or anything that has a thick smell to it, when it burns, I can't do it. Um, I think that's a big reason I haven't got a soldering iron yet is because I'm afraid that I'm just, I, I'll get sick. Like, I know I'll get sick. I, I don't, it's not the smell as much as it is. I'm in fucking Iraq again, you know, again, like, right again. And I can take some burning smells, but it's that thick, pugnant smell that I'm just like, no, I'm done. Like trash will turn my stomach. It will absolutely turn. And it, I didn't used to be like that. Like I could do it fucking no gloves, just fucking sling that. Sh- I didn't give a damn. Right. Mm-hmm. After I got out of Iraq, <clears throat> the first thing I'd done when I got home was throw the trash away. Like I couldn't do it. I, and it wasn't that full. It was just like some banana pills or I don't know if it was banana pills, but you could smell it. I could smell it. And I can't, I'm like, nope. And there's every once in a while, I ask my mom, I'm like, is there wires burning? And it's like somebody like five houses back up on the fucking mountain and I can smell the shit in my room. And I'm like, you got to spray something. Like I can't do that. Yeah. And she'll, yeah, I totally get you. She's got a burn barrel and I don't mind it if the smoke isn't blowing past my door. <laughs> that makes sense, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not fucking with you directly. So mm-hmm. it's just, and I hate that so much. I feel so bad, you know, cause I can't get over it. I've tried so much and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I want to bring back up. Like we were talking during pre-show about, I told you these last few weeks, for some reason, I've really been appreciating having a cold flavored drink versus the hot water shit we had, you know, in country. (laughs) So you take that, you take the, you know, my appreciation for, you know, cold flavored drinks now with, um, I'll admit there was one time I said to myself, man, if I could just have one cold country time lemonade you know okay i can be kia right after that you know what i mean (laughs) cancel chris you give me a cold country time lemonade and i don't care what happens to me after that i I will be a happy insane man you know what i mean you know um go ahead oh no okay uh my only other thing was after not being able to smell an american woman for you know months (laughs) on end i have to admit that once we got on planes, you know, especially, you know, civilian uh, type planes to head back to the States, man, even if the stewardess happened to be, bro, like <laughs> 60, 70 years old, if she had perfume on, bro, or her hair, uh, hair had any type of, you know, smell to it, bro, I was hooked. You hear me? I would almost marry that 70 year old. You know what I'm saying? Just, the, you know, the smell again of an American woman would just set me off, bro. I don't know if you got any more rank after I got out, but you sound like this dude called Sergeant House, H-O-W-Z-E, who was in my section. And the only difference is your voices, because he had this, I would, uh, let me tell you something, man. 
sue mm-hmm. me. He would have said the same exact thing. Like yeah. straight up. Miles gear. That's what it was, Betsy. Miles, yeah, gear. Miles gear. I hated that fucking shit. Not only did it not work half the time, it felt horrible to wear. <laughs> yeah, that shit takes a lot, you know, to put on and to wrap around different parts and get on your weapon. And yeah. yeah. Wasn't that some clunky ass shit on the end of your fucking rifle? You got this fucking. Yes, bro. It, I know it's not 10 pounds, but when you holding a rifle and you got it on the edge of your fucking barrel, that bitch feels like 10 pounds of fucking concrete on that damn thing and smelled. Yes, it did. It smelled so bad. It looked like something from fucking the Korean War that they use in the jungles or some shit. <laughs> oh, man. But no, that water you're talking about, dude, I don't know what the hell was wrong with them bottles. I don't care if you put it in a freezer and got it out two weeks later. It still tasted fucking horrible. It was the yeah. worst water I've ever, and I've had water in Mexico and I'm not trying to put Mexico down on their water, but they don't have the nicest water even in fucking Cabo. And that was better than the shit in Iraq in bottles that were one liter that supposedly was okay to drink. I don't think it was. I think that was some great water shit that they fucking filtered 50,000 times and gave to us. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't be surprised at this point, man. Like, (laughs) I wouldn't be, I won't lie to you. I even had a little bit of a feeling about, you know, seeing the Arabic letters on our water. I'd be like, um, well, see, I drink this and then, and then when I do drink it, I got to deal with hot burning ass water and burn it. I can't just. I can't help it. There are times, yes, I should drink water now, even colder. But I, I can't. I just can't, can't drink water sometimes. That's why I stick to body armor, man. I can't. Water makes me sick. It literally started making me sick. And I told my mom, I was like, I gotta find something. And I found body armor. And I've not. I've turned people to body armor. I've turned so many people to body armor and Eubora, and we've turned people to K Bar and Southern Vet Suites. Like, yeah. I think. I think they owe us a little bit of money. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying. Um, but no. Snafu um, just brought up the body armor part. Yes. It's it's one of those things that has literally saved my life. Like, literally, because I think it was last year when we all got sick. I couldn't have drank water because fuck that. It'll make me sick. And the only thing I think that kept us all good was that body armor. My mom even said Gatorade didn't touch it. We don't really do Gatorade in his house no more. It's body armor, man. Like, but, uh, no, that water, dude, that second part, can I, I had to add that second part. If you smoke cigarettes while you were in the middle of (laughs) any country, you were a motherfucking dedicated cigarette smoker. You hear me? Cause to deal with the cotton mouth and dry mouth and all that, and then turn to your hot ass water, you know, you had to be a a uh, dedicated, you know, nicotine loving uh, SOB to, uh, you know, to still, you know, go out and, and knock out your cigarettes, man. I mean, a smoke break was a mission, right? I'm not exaggerating. I know people that at the peak of the day, they would just take a bottle of water and pour it through coffee. Like they didn't have to fucking brew it. It was that fucking hot. Like you man, didn't have to brew this right? shit. And I'm like, nah, dude, I'm good. Give me one of them Gatorade shakes. I'll, I'll pass. Like, <laughs> and you know, I don't. I do want to um 
I did. We did have somewhat of a remedy in the grunts that you know we thought worked at least. We take a sock and wet it, and then wrap. Uh, you know, put the bottle inside that sock, and then um, and, you know, either you know try to find a shade spot, or if you didn't have to wear your helmet at that time, you know, stick it under the helmet. But mm-hmm. for me, bro. Any of those times in the middle of the night, you know, one, two, three, that's when the water was the coolest. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, That's when man. shit was like, yeah. You but it still tasted like shit, though, right? Like shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't that plastic. You can't tell me that plastic made it taste that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that damn plastic. I don't know what the hell they done to that water. But I, I'll, I would not be surprised if it was KBR sitting there with some gray water and they were like, hey, you know what we can do, man? We can save some money. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. I don't know if I told you or not, but so when our rose went black one time, it was supposed they were supposed to be black for like three, four weeks, which means no fucking convoys, no supplies, no outside communication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we had to order enough supplies to get us through that. So we do. Well, we kind of oversupplied ourselves with a few things, i.e. Dr. Pepper, and we had nowhere to put it. And when that shit came in, it was on pallets. And we didn't have nowhere to put the pallets. So we put it over at the Mechanics Bay. And we had three pallets over there at the Mechanics Bay. And it wasn't in boxes. It was in like the little plastic covered cases you get at like, I don't know, save a lot or something like the budget stores. Right. Yeah. And so we're sitting there one day and you can't keep hearing this at the defect. And we're like, what the fuck is that? So I go outside and I look and the Dr. Pepper pop uh, tops are popping off from the heat. Well, they got it in their idea. Because their um, platoon sergeant was asleep in his chew, which was like, I don't know, 10 feet from the pallets. They were sitting around these Dr. Pepper pallets and they were throwing rocks at it. And every little bit, one of them would pop and the rock would hit his fucking chew. (laughs) He comes storming out of that fucking chew so goddamn fast with his rifle hearing the pop and then the ship fucking flinging off of his door. He thinks we're getting hit by small arms fire. <laughs> like, I shit you not. His name was Bishop. He come out of that fucking shoe so goddamn quick. Like, he was locked, loaded, and ready. <laughs> and all it was, man, from the fucking heat, that's all it was. They are just sitting there throwing rocks on the shit. Poop, and then bing. <laughs> like, Oh my god, the stupid shit we done over there, man. Oh I want to take one quick second, bro, because it's a little unrelated, but mm-hmm. I want to say thank you to all the female veterans that, you know, switched from whatever job that they were trained to do to come out to help, like, search the females. Because you remember in the Middle East, they were not big on us, you know, touching their females, searching mm-hmm. them, you know, that sort of thing. So those that, you know, that seriously understood that and that, you know, um, supported whatever, you know, units that needed them to come out and actually touch the women for us and, you know, search them. Wow. This obviously had nothing to do with what their official job title was. Um, 
I really always appreciated that, bro. You know, to bring them off the fobs or off the, you know, any type of the nearby bases and have them out there, man, on the lines for that specific purpose. Like, yeah, we don't need you to fire or get in a firefight. I truly need you to deal with their women for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard a lot of that was going on, especially when I was there too. Because I guess it was more of a community building thing, but they were also trying to move people at the same time. And we still had a lot of that. I hate to say bullshit, but it was still going on when I was there. I mean, it was just 09, so. Oh, yeah. I was in certain places, bro, where entire, like, the villages or cities or, you know, little towns would, like, just set off and erupt into damn near, you know, protesting and chaos over us touching their women, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously that's standard for us. You know, we need to make sure we're safe. They don't have certain stuff. But, um, yeah, once, you know, once... You know, our forces are all, you know, you know, tried to accommodate them in that way. I I had a shitload of respect for the women that were like coming off of, you know, admin jobs or whatever else. And their force, bro. And that, you know, needed capacity. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was Iraq and Afghanistan was a trip, like. I know Did you ever talking. get to enjoy any type of USO shows while you were in country? We had some, but I I had certain soldiers in my section that were dicks, so I was left to fend for myself and feed everybody while they were out enjoying themselves. But I did make yeah. Bruce Campbell a bacon sandwich. <laughs> well, I made his bacon. I right know. I got to shake his hand too. And let me tell you what, Bruce Campbell looks big on fucking television. That motherfucker is Bigfoot in real life. <laughs> Ask some bitch, especially in 09 when they were doing burn notice with Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Donovan. Oh my God, dude. This dude walks in. He's like, Hey, I'm Bruce. Hey, I'm Jeffrey. And I'm like, I know who the fuck you two are. Right. <laughs> but Bruce Campbell's chest had to have been fucking 40 inches wide. I'm not even exaggerating. It was fucking huge. And he almost hit the fucking door frame when he came in. And I'm like, I know you're tall, but really like, fuck, we got Ash in the building and he's about to tear down the door frame. (laughs) (laughs) They were cool dudes though. I like them. They're, uh, they're laid back guys. I don't care what anybody says about them. They're, they're pretty cool. I'd love to actually talk to them. <laughs> I didn't get to that day. I was having to watch the fucking door, but yeah, they were, they were pretty cool guys. I think, um, I didn't get to see them. They were outside my defect, like I said, but I think three doors down came for a couple of songs, which I don't, whatever. Um, and I think some country music singer came at one time and I'm pretty sure the roads were pretty fucking secure at that time. So. <laughs> Right on, right on, brother. I know when the they brought in Bruce and Jeffrey, I've got a picture. I'll have to find it. But I got a picture of the shit hooks that came in. And, you know, normally when those come in, they're what, three three deep and two Blackhawks. Not with, not with fucking people like that. There were, I think, six shit hooks and five Blackhawks. I'm like, damn, all that for two people? 
like fuck <laughs> what are we doing over here <laughs> <laughs> and I hated when Blackhawks came in at like 3 in the morning because they always done that stealth bullshit and you didn't know it and they'd fucking start to hit the landing pad and then you fucking knew it because all that dust starts flying because you don't even see the light you don't see shit you don't hear shit People think you're going to hear a helicopter, not a Black Hawk in stealth mode. <laughs> Be sitting there and then all of a sudden it just appears, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that is some literal fucking phantom shit right there, you know? Oh, oh right man. on. Well, right on. I guess it's about that time. Sorry, what do you think? Yeah, brother. Yeah. We carried it, you know? As long as and as far as we could from the interview in the UK to, uh, you know, once we had uh, JJ here and bro, just you and I, we carried this thing as, you know, as far as we could. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to say to everybody tonight? Yeah. Just one more time. Um, the digits 988. Hey, don't be ashamed or afraid to dial them. If you happen to find yourself in any type of, Mental crisis. Uh, you know, I, I I mentioned the psych ward gang. I joke about it. I'm also uh, serious about it um, because I, you know, I've needed to turn to that as a resource that uh, kept me alive and kept me from, uh, you know, uh, going on to possibly being uh, a homeless veteran or you know dealing with addiction problems myself. So, uh, to everyone out there, please don't be ashamed or afraid to dial the digits 988 for any mental health uh, emergencies. 100%. And like I said, I'll put all that stuff on our card, including that in JJ's uh, link tree. Don't forget, you got until midnight, I believe it is, to get free shipping on the DV Radio store. Just go to dvradio.net if you're not there already and click on the store tab. Be sure you click the redeem button while you're in the store because once you check out, you can't get that free shipping. Um, anything that's not DV related, i.e. Sergeant War Dog, Betsy Ross, PTS Dog, DV Farm and DV Against DV goes to those particular individuals and organizations to the end of this year, December 31st, 2022. All sales of DV Against DV merchandise goes to Change Unchained. You can find out more about them at changeunchained.com. Wonderful organization helping human trafficking and child sexual exploitation. I love them. I love that organization, bro, and what they do and helping. Troy Eustifer. 100% 100% love them. Can't wait to get him back on. Can't wait to ha- uh, work with him with DV against DV. Uh, hopefully we can get a, a lots blue in very soon when she starts doing podcasts again and start rolling out the scripts for DV against DV to get all the stories told and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, hopefully we can have DV radio side up. Uh, hopefully soon. I'm not sure when, but we're going to do some extensive testing with it and make sure everything's good to go. DV Farm websites in the works as well as DV's dysfunctionalveterans.com. But uh, I ain't got nothing else. Go check out Dr. Owen Clayton's book, Rothenville Aspen Wall Dispatches from a Hobo in Post Civil War America. You can get it on smile.amazon.com and all those other good places where books are sold. I ain't got nothing else, but 
forward, JJ, who had to bounce, Sergeant Wardog, and everybody else that couldn't be here. Thank you, Dr. Owen Clayton, for being on with us tonight, even though it was late over in the UK. I'm Bonerwood. You just heard Barracks Talk right here on WDVRDVRadio.net. Until next week, fucksicles. Bye-bye. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter.